welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us on our 123rd episode of the podcast where we get a chance to talk to Jad Prakniak. Coach Prakniak is in his first season as the head coach at North Alabama University. Prior to that, he had spent time at the University of Delaware as the associate head coach and recruiting coordinator. Before that, um, spent nine seasons at Division II school, Westchester University, and where he was a two-time NCAA champion. They won a national championship in 2012 and in 2017. He was the first and only NCAA school in Pennsylvania to win a national championship. Coach Prakniak discusses a ton of stuff during our talk uh, as he's continued to kind of grow the program at North Alabama, touching base about his experience winning a national championship and developing his guys at Westchester as well as Delaware. And he's also spent some time before Westchester where he was the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator at William & Mary. So we touch base, got a great experience, and we, you know, he's very candid, very authentic, real. Uh, he does a great job of just uh, the vocabulary and words that he uses. I think um, guys can, th- can think about it differently, and, you know, it's a lot of times it's just a matter of it's the same game, but just how we can go about it differently. How might we say it differently? And, and Coach Pracknick does a great job um, of really explaining those things and kind of giving us a different perspective on how he talks. And, and it's that's uh, what's so great about learning uh, from other people. So really enjoyed that. Really can't thank him enough. Also really just need to thank our sponsors at Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specialize in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for other latest products and projects. So big shout out to those guys, Will Mine and the guys at Netting Pros. Thank you so much for helping us with the podcast and spread the word. And Coach Pragnack, again, one more time thanking you for all the great time that you spent. Touch base about full program, culture, base running, hitting, fielding, pitching, getting into a ton of stuff from just making a lineup. So it was just great conversations, really enjoyed it. And I think you guys will as well. So here he is, head coach at North Alabama University, Coach Jad Prakniak. PSAC baseball, and even my, I guess my baseball background, playing at Rhode Island, Division I school, uh, being an assistant at William & Mary, Division I school. And then my introduction to the PSAC was 2012. And I heard good things, for, like going into the job, heard really good things about our roster in the league, but like living it for nine years, like PSAC baseball, like especially the front end of that league, it is just the definition of good baseball. 
And I'd always say then, like, from a recruiting standpoint, like, if you went out to see blank uniforms, if you watched the Friday matchup in the PSAC of two of the top teams, like, you wouldn't leave there saying, like, oh, those are a couple of Division two teams. Like, you would leave there saying, like, oh, those are two really good college baseball teams. And like, that's the best way to sum it up. And I think the draft history speaks for itself. But it's even the quality of coaching style of play stuff. Like, it's a tough league. You know what I mean? It really is. And I think it, it forces you to be a good coach because – if you can't keep up, like there's too many talented coaches and players in that league to survive. It truly is. So um, it's good. And I think it speaks to the talent pool in the state. And it's a, it is Pennsylvania is pretty populated state. So you have mm-hmm. a lot of people in the state and the fact there's a lot of good affordable options for kids. It's, and I think now basically the league does its recruiting for itself that has been so good for so long that I certainly think kids within the state of Pennsylvania know how good PSAC baseball is for sure. And then, uh, so then how, how do you, how have you compared it from like where you're at now sure. and to make, to make the, yeah. like the transition? With North sure. Alabama? And that's even going back the last couple of years at Delaware and now well, we're seven games into this season, but it's, yeah. you know, obviously having a chance to work with our group here and it's the gist of it is, is, you know, the high, the high level division two teams could compete with, I would say 90% of division one teams. You know what I mean? And I, I would never pretend like our best teams at Westchester are going to go win the SEC. I would never pretend that. But at the same time, like I truly felt like we could compete with the majority of Division One teams when I was there. And that's the same. You know what I mean? It's I think the best teams in the PSAC would be very competitive in the Atlantic Sun. Are they going to have more talent than Liberty? Probably not. But could they compete on most weekends? They probably could. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's kind of the quick summary of of that level. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just a I think it's just a great perspective, Coach. Like, you know, and and – the power fives is a different story, you know, like you said. Um, but when it terms of other conferences that you're looking at, you know, that the really good division twos and what that is, it's such a great thing. Cause I hear, I think you hear a lot more of it now about being, having a good fit or, you know, as much as the portal is like you, you can go somewhere you can play for sure. Yep. So, Oh man, that's good. And so, and then have you found like that, uh, what kind of different challenges now do you have in the South, you know, that you didn't might've had had in the North? Yeah. So I think some of the challenges here, but it's also um, in a way I'm going to spin it as one of our strengths is being new to the area. It's forcing us to be really good at finding people, finding players, creating relationships. So our network grows down here for sure. Um, I think one of our strategies from a recruiting standpoint is we don't want to settle so we are definitely shooting high from a recruiting standpoint, and that's part of the messaging to the recruits themselves. And, you know, we're, we're definitely losing out on some guys to some very good programs, and um, it's to be expected. But I feel like, for me, I'm comfortable with that, getting some no's along the way. And I, I even said that at Westchester and other places I've been, if you don't get some no's in recruiting, you're probably not pushing the envelope enough. Like, you really want to add somewhere along the way, you're going to get some no's because you're trying to identify a kid that has some really good options, and you can't get them all. Um, so it is being new here. It's still calibrating. All right. What exactly is our fit? Like what exactly, um, what exactly are we targeting? And, and when I say that as part of that is just roster getting to know our current roster as part of it. And now that we're seven games into the season, like we're getting a better feel for things for sure. Um, and some of the stuff is from a depth standpoint at certain positions, pretty obvious. Like we knew that from the jump on paper. Um, but there's some other stuff as you get into a season, start to try to figure out, okay, can this guy hold down this position for three years? 
or we're gonna have to look for somebody else to help out at that position. Um, and that's kind of the stage we're at right now, just getting a feel for our roster as a whole. Mm-hmm. How much? Um, so, how much has how much has the portal really affected your affected you? Sure. Um, so during the transition, the month between Coach Keen, the previous coach here, retiring and me getting hired, it's basically a, a calendar month. And there were a handful of guys that transferred out of here. Some of those guys were some of the better performers from the year before. So me coming in, it's, you know, we just lost a, a couple arms and a couple positional guys um, that were basically immediate, immediate voids that we had to fill. So just how the ease, the ease at which those guys were able to transfer, the good thing on my, my end coming is like I could access the portal to try to find some guys to fill some of those holes. Um, so I would say this summer, we brought in, and some of those guys are through the transfer portal. Two of the guys were JUCO guys. Um, but we brought in six guys this summer to help fill some of those voids. Um, and four of those guys came through the portal. Um, and I think moving forward, we definitely want to be aware of who's in the portal. And we definitely want to identify needs where the portal could help us. But I think big picture recruiting, we want to build it with high school guys is the idea. But the portal is a supplemental piece to, to basically add as needed at certain positions. Um, and I would say one of the, I think one of the benefits of the portal down the road, if we, as we build things up here is if you have a year where you get hit with the draft and maybe you lose a couple juniors, the nice thing about the portal is you don't have to get young. Like that doesn't make you have to go young, but like sure. you wanted to have somebody come in to, to fill one of those spots. And even if you're not replacing a true draft guy with another draft guy, maybe you can get like a, somebody with some season experience that can help basically to lessen that blow essentially. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, it's nice. And you see it, I mean, I mean, most places are at some level doing something in the portal. And I'm not saying everybody, but I think you have to be at least aware of who's in there. And it's the other, the other thing too, as I mentioned, is you get to learn your roster. And what I think right now at the end of February compared to what I'm going to think in May, you know, there could be very different thoughts. And at that point, our needs might change and we might have to go target, um, we might have to go target something else. And the, the portal can help with some of that stuff. Yeah, that's like you said. Even in, I think in the situations where you weren't expecting it, you know, a guy like you guys say you get hit by the draft, you hit multiple guys, and you're like, oh my goodness, and it, you know you weren't expecting. You, you've got your future classes coming up, but like, hey, my goodness, like right now, like we just lost a guy. Sure, exactly, and it's it's that simple. And sometimes it's an injury thing. Maybe somebody's down for a year and you need help. So it's um, it is. And as I mentioned, like still in a perfect world, you're identifying those high school guys that can help you. You have at least three years to work with them, hopefully, or maybe four with them. Um, but I do think for us, it's going to be a mix of high school portal. And then we'll also do some stuff at the junior college level. Like we're in a part of the country with some really, really good junior colleges. Um, and we have a willingness to go outside the area. Like we're still going to go up to the mid Atlantic Northeast to try to identify junior college talent as well. And I, you know, between developing relationships and knowing some of the rosters up there, I know there's very talented players up, up North that could help us down here. Sure. You know, those guys love coming too. How have like, how have like um I don't know, like <coughs> you know, because like I said, the the north the northeast guys love said, Oh, I'd love to go down south and play. Like, uh it, it, is it you know, I'm just wondering if that's always the case, you know, if, when they get down there and like, sure. oh yeah, and I think there's um so two of the guys that we got, two of the transfers we got this summer, one was from Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia, and another one was from uh Connecticut who redshirted at UConn. And, and again, it's small sample, but those, I feel like both of those guys have come in, they fit in really well. I think it's, 
I think for them, the biggest thing was an opportunity, a chance to get on the field. Both those guys redshirted at other Division One schools. And the arm right now is our Friday night starter. And um, our third baseman is, you know, who came from UConn is starting at third and hitting fifth or sixth in our order right now. So I think from them, like getting on the field, that makes life a little bit better. But I think even those guys, the transition of, you know, what was described to them from an opportunity standpoint, but even the um, even the setup of this school, like I think it's one of those places that's easy to get acclimated to. And it's not big city, but it's also not so small that it feels like there's nothing to do. I think it's there's just enough entertainment to kind of keep you occupied. But at the same time, like the speed here is things don't speed up on guys here. You get you get to kind of create your own life and your own tempo down here for sure. Nice. Yeah. And it's because it is, it's just, it is very different. You know, it's just different. Um, <laughs> you know, like dealing with the cold is different, you know, and not having to deal with that, you know, like, but yeah, just being really away from home, you know, it's different than you know, two hours or something to get in the car, but it's different when you just, you got to plan a day. Sure. Sure. But so cool, man. Um, just thinking about like, as you're taking, you know, you spent nine years at Winchester, you know, your culture just got just rolling. Like as you're coming in, like what is one of the first things, of course you can touch base on, you got to get the guys. Sure. Good people is always good at any organization, but like how, what else are you kind of foundationally doing sure. to grow this North Alabama program? Sure. I, um, I'll give you the simplest. And I say simplest, this is what I'll put in front of them as well. Uh, these will be the direct messages to the team and um, try to be as concise as possible with it. It's we try to sum up from a team guideline standpoint is to do the right thing so that you can attach that to anything on the field, off the field, in the classroom. When you go home for winter break, like do the right thing with all your decisions. And the expectation is you're going to do the right thing. With that being said, is when you have 35 college guys somewhere along the way, somebody's going to slip up, whether it's a baseball thing, uh, an oversleep thing, whatever that might be. There's going to be a moment where somebody doesn't get it right. But the gist of it is you're on to the next do the right thing and getting it right. So we'll come back to that. We'll lean into that a good amount. Um, the other one, too, is giving guys the comfort to be themselves. And I truly want them to be themselves, but they're in pursuit of becoming the best version of themselves. So that's I like the different personalities. I like having the ability where you got to mix and I'm good with that. I don't need everybody to be the exact same way and wired the same way. And I truly feel like the best teams we had at Westchester, we truly had a full mix of personalities. And I think giving them a little bit of room to be themselves, but also like making sure they know, like we're in pursuit of creating the best version of you during your time here. Um, and the on the field stuff, try to hit on the two things I've always had is hundred percent focus, hundred percent effort. Like those are an automatic this year. I just attached and I've used different versions of it, but just the mantra of just don't flinch. So no matter what is going on in the field, the expectation is your body language can't tip your hand. Like you're not going to flinch at it. So it's we're looking to play focus, looking to play with effort and not flinch. And you can I can say, you know, there's a lot of things that people um, will do or put on paper or say. And I feel like basically any organized coach at any level has great things on paper, whether it's pillars or just this is my philosophy, my core mission. We all can dial one up or a good quote. But like the challenge is, like, can you live it? And like, actually, can people feel it and see it anytime they see us play? So that's the mission is like, it's one thing to talk about it, but on your best day and on your worst day, can you be about all these things at all times? So. What, what are the things like you said, when can people see it when they watch you play 
is the big thing that you want them to see is that uh, like the body language big part of it the focus standpoint of um of them being dialed in and some of those things might be checkpoints more for us and not to say people in the stands won't know of you know what the expectation is on each play um obviously some of the effort stuff we all can see in the ballpark um but there might just be some you know on this on this certain play your, your expectation is this and when it gets to the point where it just basically guys get consumed and so good at doing that where it's it's almost self-coached or like they just expect like, no, that's just how we play. Like that's when you know you got it. And just knowing how competitive the sport is, especially like high level division one baseball, they're getting the horses at those power fives. And some of those programs are the most meticulous in regards to like style of play and expectations. So for us to close that gap, like, yes, we need to get talented players, but I don't think we're going to ever show up to a field and just out talent most of the SEC. Or if we expect to win the Atlantic Sun, it's not just going to be because we had the most talented team and nobody could catch up with us. It's got to be like good players and then a ridiculous buy-in to everything else that comes with it. And I think that like attention to detail and focus and effort. Um, and again, it's like the tangible stuff. Like you got to go live it. You got to go do it. And like whatever that task is, however mundane it seems like, you just have to get it right every single time. And and when like part and part of this because you you've you've grown programs, it, like let's say at Westchester, like was it a certain year like this effort and focus that you felt like the consistent message kind of rang true, and you kind of took over you know you kind of sure. got over the hump. The the fortunate thing at Westchester was that was an extremely talented roster that I walked into. There was I mean it's. One guy still playing in the big leagues is on year eight in the major leagues. We have another guy that's still thrown professionally in Japan. So like the, our two horses, like Joey Wendell who's still in the big leagues and Joe Gunkel who pitched in AAA and now he's in Japan. I'll start with the talent there, but both of those guys basically exemplified one on the mound and one in the field, those things. And I think for that group, like once when those guys were so dialed in, like the rest of the roster kind of fell in line. And I truly feel like this, like, I only had one year with Joey Wendell as a senior when I was there, but it was, I felt like the guys that played with him. So even those freshmen that played with him, it's like that just became like the identity of part of it too, where he helped basically his style of play and the way he went about it and the way he treated people like passed on to the future years. And then it just kind of kept rolling over from there. And obviously we had other guys that were leaders on individual teams, but just the gist of year one, they were, that group was so good with it that I think it just, it did stay. And we needed to remind guys along the way, like this is the expectation and some years are easier than others. So I think even on the, even the year when you get it right with the roster turnover, you know that you're gonna have to recoach it. So you have to get it to the new guys. And then also like some of the returning guys are gonna have to be reminded of it. And it'll show up in different ways, you know? And it's, I try to be, um, I can be pretty meticulous with it of like when, like, like getting on them in different spots. And I think, I think using stuff like that after a win can be really helpful. So like even after their best day or like, oh, good, you know, we just had and even this weekend, like we had a sweep this weekend and I could dial up a highlight reel or say highlight reel, a low light reel of literally a dozen mistakes that we made that could have cost us, the, like cost us games over three games. And basically the good thing is we got away with it, but we, we did earn the wins. But the gist of it is like we still have to teach and like we can't get complacent just because we, we went three and oh, but like how we got there, like there's some things that we have to tighten up or else it's going to burn us. Um, so I think from that standpoint of just kind of coming back to those messages as often as possible um, and just showing them 
real life examples of our games, like clips of things that we didn't get right. And then even showing some, if we don't have the right clip to show, like finding a clip on the field of this is what it should look like would be the gist of it. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, how do you remain consistent with that message of like, you know, like you said, trying to remind them of the expectations? Yeah, I think it is as, as you see them in real time in front of your face, like yeah. coming back to it. And then obviously the video piece, and this is something, you know, we do more of it now than we used to probably. Um, we're just, we try to get a good amount of stuff on video. The good thing for most of our games, you have a pretty good angle of the whole field. So we're able to pull clips from game action now to show. I think that brings it to life. And obviously it's, it doesn't lie. You know what I mean? Like you show the video and then you can rewind it and it's not the belittle guys or like, it's just, we want to get it right. And if it happens to be you making the mistake, like coming back to do the right thing, like it's not a personal attack. It's like us as a team trying to get this thing right. So it's, and you, if, you know, if you're one of the guys getting it wrong too much, there's a good chance he won't be in there. Like eventually like your lineup, your spot in the lineup, but we'll probably turn over. Um, but we are, we're at the stage now where like, you know, things are for real, things matter. So it's, it's not fall ball anymore. We're trying to figure things out. Like we're still growing as a team for sure, but like the wins and losses matter now. Yeah, um, for so, sure. So we're definitely trying to, to hit on some of those things. And I was thinking like, I was just thinking the video part, you know, I mean, say we do it more than we used to. And I think it's good because I mean, how many kids aren't watching videos, you know, in a day, you know what I mean? Where you think of the type of learner that they are. I think they just hit the nail on the head there with the, bit, with the video. That's the one thing that pulls it to life. It really does. And sometimes and I can see it when you talk to your team, let's say you, like when I talk to my team now, I, I can tell by basically eyeballs of the guys that get it, the guys that kind of get it. And I feel like the guys that as I'm talking about it, I know that they need more help with it. It's almost like they're in class hoping nobody calls on them because they don't really know what's going on kind of deal. And I think and part of that too is like I need to teach it on the field at a certain way to connect with them. But you're right, like that video, it just, it can take something that might take 10 minutes. It can be a 40 second thing. You show a few clips and like, hopefully that'll hit home. Like, oh, I get it now. So. And like, when, when you do that coach, cause I'm just thinking about like guys, like timing wise, I'm like the, the timing. Wise. Will you go in there and dive into that and start breaking it up? Or do you have a guy like, Hey man, I want to, I want like you, is that someone's job to go do that? Like how to cut how, the video, to cut the yeah, video, like up? just the specific things that you want to see, like, are you still diving in there to do that, or you got other guys that are working on that? Combo. So, I mean, there's still plenty of times where I'm seeking those things out. So, I mean, I would say the majority of the time, actually, like, I'm trying to find a specific clip, right? I have a, I'm going to say a catalog. It's a handful of clips that I do tend to show to my teams. Um, so, I have those that I'll lean on pretty much most years. And then if I see something, I'll tag it. Or even on Twitter, sometimes you might see a play, yep. and you bookmark it, and you can come back to it. Um, to, and even today, actually, we I did have my assistant cut up just three different base running clips from our weekend. So I just had them, you know, had them cut those up. So we had, had the ability to show that to the team. So it's, um, yeah, I would say a mix. Some of the okay. stuff I already have and some stuff I'll seek out or it's just, you know, asking one of our guys to, to help find a clip. Yeah. I was wondering about that, you know, and, um, <clears throat> because it is such a, like you said, you, you said you did it, you you do it more now than what you have in the past. Uh, is that like, cause I'm just thinking of like, how would you do it, especially if you're talking to, like, you know, the guy, you know, that might not have the facilities and the stuff that you guys have? Like, how, how could you incorporate it more? Sure. I think you could do – I mean, you could even send – even in a group chat setting, I mean, you could send it – you could send it in that – if it's a clip, like I said, a Twitter clip or something, if there's something that reinforces what you're looking for, I think that's fair game, just even if it is them looking at their phone to look at it. Um, I think even – 
it's probably a worthwhile investment. Even if you invest in a, a flat screen TV that's like 32 inches, hook your laptop to, up to it in the dugout. Wow. Kind of, same, I, kind of the same idea. Like I think you can create almost that classroom environment in the dugout. And it's the same line of thinking. Like we have a locker room next to our field. So with the TV in there, so that's basically our setup. But if I had to do it in the dugout, it's really not any different. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. um, and I know different places have like an actual meeting space at their facility. Ours just happen to be a, it's a locker room set up with the TV. Um, but I do think even from a high school standpoint, like I think it's a, probably a worthwhile investment of, you know, all the tech things you might invest in or equipment things. I think from a budget line item, if you spend 200 bucks and get a pretty good TV, it just, I think there's a good return on that for sure. Yeah. And that's, and that was my next thing with thinking about like how, how you do it. Like, is that, so do you have classroom sessions or those, those classroom sessions, like when you're in your locker room with your TV, is that every day before practice that you're doing it? Or do you have like these specific times when you're having classroom? Yeah. Um, it's not every day. So I would say it's um, definitely as needed. So if there's a time that I feel like we haven't quite grasped something and even this weekend, like I said, there were a couple, and the good thing is it exposed us. Like I'm glad those moments came up. And even as the game's going, I'm like, this is hurting us. Like we're like, we, like we might not win this game because we've given the other team four outs on our inability to like run the bases correctly today. Mm. So, so it was like, as the game's going, I'm like, at least we can cut this up and give them something win or lose. Like we can use this to our benefit down the road. Um, so I think from, you know, from that standpoint of just when we do it, it's definitely an as needed. There are some things beginning of each semester, I'll basically set team meeting stuff. Sometimes videos will be attached to that. And then even the preseason this year, just on certain years, when we start to do things year to year to year, if you've been here for two, three, four years, like those guys are so helpful to communicate this message in future years. But like in year one, we really do have to kind of go step by step with everything we do as a team. So it does, it forces us to maybe meet and be a little more meticulous to go through everything we want to cover. Um, and I would say the video during the preseason segment, some of it's baseball stuff, but other thing it's, you know, we'll show a clip of Villanova basketball team that won it in 2017. And there's just a good little summary of what that team was about. But it's one of those messages that you you could attach it to any sport and it would be beneficial. You know what I mean? You could you could cut and paste the messaging of that Villanova team, how they were wired, and just how that helped them in the biggest moment where they're, you know, they're playing in a championship game. Um, so that's it is usually baseball, but we'll tap into other stuff of be like, yeah, like that makes sense. Like I understand that. And they can definitely pull that into the baseball side of things. Yeah, I like that. You know, like you're, it's not just the, like you said, not just the baseball stuff, but you can bring in all kinds of different examples, you know, and, and, and I think you said like as needed. So if I do need a, you said an example of how well this team was kind of structured because maybe you're feeling like they're not really kind of together. So that's what it sounds like. You're kind of bringing that in, you know, here's what it is like as needed. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. And that's the, um, like I said, is every and every team is unique to themselves. You know what I mean? As soon as you change one personality, it's the team dynamic could change. One guy goes and a new guy's in. But I do think there's some of those underlying principles, like anybody that's involved in athletics as an athlete and like as a coach, like you basically know what what the good teams are gonna do. You really do. There's a certain way those teams are wired, and there might be little style of play quirks or little even personality quirks. Some might be a little more bold, some might be a little more reserved. But when it comes down to it, usually it's talent that goes about it a certain way is usually the gist of it. Sure. Mm -hmm. mm. Good. So like, um, oh man, just so as a growing the culture and just like, 
Mm. Man, I'm just thinking about like just with um do do you really how how much cuz it's it's cuz it sounds like to me like how, how much of like the culture talks do you do you like to have or is it like you're one where you're just like gung ho like here's all the baseball like trying to bring in all like it, like I'm just thinking how are you balancing all of the different culture stuff with all of like the the specific baseball stuff and skills yeah. you're trying to grow um there's definitely a mix, but I think there's also like a natural overlap. Like if you're getting some of those on the field things right and just mm -hmm. the way guys go about their business, like some of that, like they're learning themselves. And when I talk, when I reference like, you know, doing the right thing and the focus and effort thing, like if we can, if we can do that in a practice setting and even in a day where it just feels like, you know, this is like the practice number 22 of the fall and it's just like the practice itself, like, it's easy. It's one of those practices that feels like guys can just kind of go into autopilot, but just like attaching something to that to challenge them and just get them, you know, get them in the moment with the stuff. But I think that from a, you know, strictly from a baseball standpoint, but I, I also think you can carry that over to other, other pieces, like being dialed in, given effort, regardless of the circumstances, I think can really like set the tone for your team. Um, and the good people thing, like kind of the same deal there, like as mishaps, or whatever on the field that you want to tighten up. Like, like I said, if you might go to a video, you might go to a message or try to try to show something to reinforce what it should look like. It's kind of the same. Like there's some core things like, yeah, we want to do the right thing. We want to be good people, but I think just as needed coming back to that message and almost not overdoing the culture in, um, you know, creating a thing where like guys have to feel like, Oh, something's wrong. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, like, and last year, again, the, the team was 12 and 41 last year. You know what I mean? And that's, this is the, the group that we're taking over. And, you know, we hit on some of that stuff since the division one transition when I met with the team, but it was never to beat them up or to belittle the culture they had. You know what I mean? Cause I wasn't here and I don't know exactly like, you know, was it just a, you know, the other team more talented or whatever it might be. So it just, for me, it's not even about changing culture. It just established my culture. And just, when I say my culture, it's our culture of like, I really try not to complicate it too much. And I feel like I will give guys room to be themselves, but I do expect them to grow. And the things that I do give them, the expectation is they're going to do them to a high level. Um, and again, I don't know for sure, like it's not going to be a hundred percent, but I feel like most guys that have played in, you know, programs that I've coached, I feel like could at least say like, yeah, felt like I had a chance to be myself. You know what I mean? It wasn't like it was, he was always trying to change me. So it was that freedom and again, I want to see guys grow. So that doesn't mean like be yourself. And there's been plenty of freshmen, sophomores that are like, that kid's got a, a ways to go. But it's just saying it to them and coaching them through it to try to just help them as an individual. And then that comes back, you know, in that full team setup. Um, there's a good return on that stuff. And I honestly think too, and this is, um, and I totally get where coaches are saying it. Even for me too, I do want the idea of like, the name on the front of the jersey, like, yes, it's really, really important. Like, I'm all for that, like, yes. But, like, there's something about, depending on what's going on in someone's life, I don't want to minimize, like, the name on the back of the jersey. So even for me, anywhere I've been, Westchester, assistant at William & Mary, assistant at Delaware, head coach at North Alabama, like, I have great pride in those programs. And, like, yep, the, the logo means a lot. But I never want our logo to get in the way of, like, the well-being of 
a human. You know what I mean? So like I have like a truly like looking out for people. And that doesn't mean like that kid has the right to like not do anything correctly. But the gist of it is I'm not going to cast aside somebody if I think they're willing to grow, if that makes sense. So that's like the something that I think over the years, I feel like I'm more in tune with that. And I think some of the, I don't want to call it selfish, but I think from a reflection standpoint, like if you have a chance to help, help somebody's like whatever the course of their life might be, if you give, if you have the willingness to work with somebody through something of just like slightly redirecting that life, like I think from that standpoint, I think it's really important instead of basically trying to find ways to, you know, to cast away people like, oh, you messed up. And it's the same in recruiting sometimes. Like, yeah, there's certain kids that we probably won't recruit. But at the same time, like, I'm not going to fields looking for reasons to cross, kid, cross kids off. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's yeah. when I'm when I was a 16 year old kid in high school, like, whatever. I don't th- I don't feel like I did anything awful. But at the same time, like, I just remember doing some stupid stuff as a 16 year old or saying stupid stuff out of the dugout. And like, I wouldn't want to be judged on that you know, for, you know, my college career, whatever that might be. So I think I, I'd look at it more as like a chance for me to help somebody out. And even the recruiting process, I would have those talks with guys sometimes too. Like we might be on a guy, I go watch him or we're just starting to to get to know him. And maybe they do something that we don't, isn't something we necessarily like. I'll just talk with the kid about it and just kind of get to the bottom where he's at with it and, and just let him know, like, you know, it's really not what we're looking to do. And just so we get on the same page with the stuff. That's so good. I it's, it's such a. I, I've actually heard teachers say that too, uh, along the lines of like you talking about. I'm not going to the field looking to cross guys off, you know. Like uh, I've had teachers, and one of the most impactful teachers I work with is, she said, "I'm not in the business of failing kids." You know yeah. what I mean? It's not, and it's not that she didn't have high expectations for kids either. That was what she. That's how she was taught to. That was her philosophy and like how. How much she cared. You know, sure. like you yeah. kind of said about just kind of the willingness to help someone yeah. when they're yep. maybe going through something. And I'm honestly, I'm even willing to get it wrong. If the kid is so conniving and he like pulls a fast one on me, it's the kid that like you spend like years trying to get it right with them or months or weeks, whatever. And if one kid gets it past me, but if that allows me to help 12 other kids, like so be it. You know what I mean? If the one kid like so it just I'm comfortable with that, too. Like, oh, I pulled a fast one on coach. I'm like, well, you really didn't because it's like you're going the route you're going, but it's just, if we're able to make those adjustments to other guys, like I'm all for that. So. Oh, that's cool, man. Like, is, was there something like that impacted you in order to gain that kind of philosophy? Um, I you, don't have, you just don't hear guys talking much about like, you know what I mean? Sure. Like kind of let yeah. them be the. I just think, I think over time, uh, I think, I mean, I think over time, the more I do this, the more I have appreciation for it. I think even just like whatever upbringing and, um, even just perspective stuff and just ability for people to change, seeing some of those things up close in my life were like, yeah, this person wasn't making good decisions, but it just also given them the flexibility of, yeah, they can change for the better. You know what I mean? And it's, I do want to help people like in the industry, I really do. Um, and I think that's a good question. Like, but I think it would probably go back to even that side of it of like, yeah, people can change. And it's kind of, it's nice when you get to see people on the other side of that thing. Oh yeah, for sure. And you're at such an impressionable age that you're just you're putting guys on a path, you know, that you really truly get to see them becoming the men that they're going to be for longer than you know for for a long time. So it's just it's super cool. Those those college years, man, they are impressionable. You know, I mean, I teach middle school. Yes, it's impressionable, but like you know, you can at college, man, you're gonna make or break your next ten years pretty easy. Yeah, and that that difference from 
18 to like 22, 23, like it is a drastic, drastic difference. Yeah. Uh, just the brain yeah. development and that's scientifically proven. The brain development. Oh yeah, it is. And it's, I mean, it's just all of it, the, what actually is going on in the body combined with the experiences they have in that stretch. And, and even that first jump, honestly, like that freshman to sophomore year, sometimes it's, you have kids come back that sophomore, the fall of their sophomore year. And it seems like they're four years older already, you know, depending on the kid a little bit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's super cool. Just a great, just a, such a unique I me. Mean, I've heard guys talk about, you know, guys being their own self coach and things like that. You hear a lot of those kind of things and player led and da da da. But just the way that you explain that about giving those guys to really be there, be themselves. And you said, and, and I, and I'm curious about what you said about, um, I just expect guys to grow. And so my, my, my I guess, you know, just for me, like I'm thinking about how to manage that, you know, like how do you, how do you, like when you're holding them accountable to that, uh, uh, how how do you do? How do you how do you yeah. want to get accountable to growing? Sure, I, I mean I think little checkpoints, and it's kind of a simple one. Could be one like, can you truly lead yourself? So I guess I'll start with that. Do you have the ability to to follow through on all the things that are asked of you? Um, and I think the next step of that would just be the ability to help somebody else out. Like the ability of once when you can lead yourself, like do you have the ability to help basically that guy that was you that you might have need help? Can you help that guy out? as a, as a checkpoint of, you know, you got your stuff together, but now there's this freshman over here that, you know, he's basically in the same shoes you were in maybe the year before, and he might be struggling with certain things. And like, can you help that guy out with some stuff? So I think that could be one, like a growth indicator. And I think, um, I think some guys, some guys are just such different spots of their lives. So obviously we're getting people from different parts of the country. And, you know, we have guys from 12 different States here. And I think we have guys from a pretty good mix of, I feel like from a, from one standpoint, I feel like a lot of our guys in that standard upper, upper middle-class kind of baseball upbringing. But I think we do have a mix of guys from different, you know, different backgrounds. And I think for, you know, for each guy, like they have different challenges. So the growth for one guy might look different than somebody else. And, you know, I, I feel like I walked into a situation here, like there's a handful of guys here or maybe even more that I feel like are rock solid. You know what I mean? It's just like, I can tell that they're wired a certain way. Like, not that we don't have to coach them, not that we don't have to help sure. them. Sure. No, they're self-driven. Exactly. But it's just like, they are dialed in, like they want to get it right and whatever we give them. And it's, you got to be careful too, because you got to make sure you're giving them the right stuff because they are a hundred percent, like they're going to be dialed into you. Um, but you can tell, like, you can tell pretty quickly, you know, who's, you know, who is self-driven and, you know, who can, who can take care of their own stuff. Um, we have a good group of guys that are in that category and like any roster I've been, you know, been a part of, you know, we have some guys that are probably in the middle and we probably have a few guys that um, they need that like aha moment. Like I got to get my stuff together. Um, and it's, this fall was no different. Like we had some guys, whether it's following through on some academic stuff or just certain things not following through on, like we had to have some of those conversations. Um, and some of those will happen, you know, behind closed doors, one-on-one, and other times, same idea. It's not to belittle people, and we're not going to name exact names, but the gist of it is like talking to the full team about making sure we're meeting the expectations like of the group. So, um, and I think guys have been very receptive, which has been good. Some of those guys have got off to a good start this semester academically. So it's again, it's year one here, but guys are doing a good job with um, with following through and making some adjustments. So I guess, like you said about the follow through is the, the conversations with guys. And so like those conversations happen as needed, or like you said, with the team. Yeah. And some of those will have, they will be scheduled conversations. You know, we'll meet with guys, um, 
like definitely an end of the semester check-in check-in um we'll have those and we'll have an end of the year like those are scheduled and the other ones from a one-on-one -on -one standpoint if we need to have that you know if we need to have that conversation to get somebody straightened out a little bit we're definitely willing to do that oh yeah absolutely awesome and um how has uh just like Here's a here's a question, like, because I'm going back to like your your don't flinch, you know, body language, uh, coming into like, you know, this is the a very uh, the highest level you've coached at, yep. right? And so, like, is there a part of you like says like, this is what I'm also gonna model, like, this is what kind of uh, where a, you're at, you know? Yeah, what I mean? I mean, that's a it's a great question, and it's like a self challenge to me. And I know for me, um, I know for me, I'm at my best when I'm thinking clearly. So there's times when I'm not getting caught up in the moment, good or bad, and I really try to overtrain myself. And there's times like I know it, like it's just I'm so dialed into what's next, or I try to be dialed into what's next that I'm not like I'm I'm moving past whatever just happened. So it just says as our guys are doing some celebration stuff, like I'm trying to get their attention to make sure they're dialed into what's next. Or if it's one of those crazy calls where we feel like we got screwed by an umpire, like yeah, if I have to go out to talk to them about it, I will. But like once when that's done. I just hate playing the what if game. Like, ah, oh, if we would have got that call, this, this, this. Like, I like just swallowing whatever's in front of us. And like, we're going to dig in, do our best with that moment. And that's it. So it is. That's one of my checkpoints, like during a game and like after a game, like, did I actually do that? Um, and I do feel like, you know, again, it's something I, I'm, I, I'm dialed into it. Like, I try to be really good with that. So like most games, I feel like I accomplished that. But there's always moments like there's definitely decisions I wish I had back along the way, obviously. Like you're not going to yeah. hit the right button and like – but it is. Like that's part of the fun of anybody that's been in the dugout and had to make like baseball decisions in big moments. It's a very specific like – like you have to be dialed into that stuff. You really do. And like the people that do it and like it's part of the fun of the game. It really is. Um, and the another cue we'll give our guys like after a mistake just – and I've heard this years ago and again it's – yeah, keep your head up, like kind of a that, but it's like a specific like eyes up, head up, chin up. Like if you have a miscue, instead of like if you need a second to kind of do a little kick the dirt and get your mind right, I'm good with that. But it is like have your eyes up, your head up, and your chin up and go get the next thing, whatever that is. But it does, if somebody kicks a ball and they're like looking at the ground for the next 12 seconds, like that tells me like they're not on to what's next. Yeah. Um, so it's I'll give guys, they get a moment. But after that, it is eyes up, head up, chin up. And, like, you got to be connected with the rest of the team, ready to make the next play, basically. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I, I just think it's your leadership, Coach. I just think, like, you know, like, I'm just going to show you that I'm not flinching. Like, I'm, this isn't just words that you're trying to speak. I think you're you're trying to develop the trust. And you're like, look, I'm here doing the same thing. For you know sure. what I mean? So, yeah. like, I think that's where, you know, you're also, you know, we're not going to flinch because I'm not. And I'm going to make sure that I'm doing it. I'm right here. Like, they, they need to see it from you. For sure. And I think it's, and I, yeah, I mean, it's as, as you know, like, yeah, if you're not living out the things you're looking for from your guys, like yeah. send it some mixed messages and, and it's you never as a coach, do you want to become a distraction or, and we feel like it's our job to like make the game easier. The game's hard enough for the guys. Yeah. Like, the last thing they need to do is for a coach to make it more challenging. So it's, you know, it's our job is to try to break the game up into ways that it just slows the game down for them. And just the game, the game straight up by itself, like it's a super challenging game. Mm -hmm. There's so much time that you have to think about things and like the game itself is tough, but even the downtime, like you could have those two tough at bats and you're waiting, you know, another hour and eight minutes to get your third at bat. And like, 
it's just a lot of things can go through your head. And I, I think it just, you know, the best baseball guys that I've been around from a player standpoint, there's some common themes too about just the way they handle the ups and downs of the game for sure. So that what you would say, you know, like you would say like a common theme would just be this, the way they stay neutral. I it's even neutral, but it's staying true to what's best for them. And I've never been around a baseball guy where like overdrive, I'm like the best guys on teams I've coached. It's never been the guy that's on total overdrive is like, Oh, that's the guy. Could that guy help you in like a game or a weekend or even a month? Like, yeah, but I just feel like when it comes down to it at the end of the year, usually your more stable people are going to be the guys that are going to like lead your ship basically. Um, the other good analogy, and it's, I don't know, it might be dated now, but I did hear a few, like this was going back probably 10 years when I heard it. Um, it was like the Boston Celtics, the Celtics team that had Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen. Um, they referred to, there was a basically a sports psych um, person that worked with that team. And like he referred to it as hype level. So if you go, those that was the big three. So Kevin Garnett, Pierce, Allen. And he said the key to those guys were they were at their best when they're in the, their right hype level. So if you run through it, Garnett, really intense, um, carried himself a certain way. But like he was a hyper intense guy on the court, but that's what worked for him. Paul Pierce was intense, but also had kind of that quiet um, go about it to him. But he was kind of somewhere in the middle. And then Ray Allen was the definition of just a flatliner that would just you couldn't basically he was somebody that you just you couldn't tell what was going on. If he was yeah. eight for nine for threes or one for 10 for threes, like Ray Allen was just going to do Ray Allen. And like, but it is, the idea was those three guys, three different hype levels is what he referred to it as, but they would stay in their area, like their zone often. And that's what made that, you know, those guys individually in that team tough is like, you know, you can't tell you, you can't tell Ray Allen to act like Kevin Garnett and you can't tell Kevin Garnett to act like Ray Allen. Cause you're going to end up getting a negative return on that stuff. Um, but I think that's, another good example of like coming back to let the guy be themselves unless it gets to that extreme side of it where it's, it's too much in one direction. Yeah. Well, or you just get, you, you get bad feedback, you know, like, I mean, Kevin Garner will say, yeah, it worked for him because the feedback was there. You know, he was really sure. a player. He had good yeah, results. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's definitely something to be aware of. You know, if you're not getting good results, it's time to maybe change something up. Maybe this might not be working for you. <laughs> For sure. Oh man, that's good. So <clears throat> I'll just, uh, oh man, that was really good. Um, just saying, I, I think that, man, it's so, it's such a great thing. of just players that stay true to what's best for them. Uh, it's such a great way to put it, you know, like, um, instead of guys being, you know, like just saying what's true is best for them. You got guys that can be up or be down or yeah. Getting in the right hype level. It's really cool. And like, uh, um, Man, just trying to see how like how you help. Like, is that something that you try to get your guys to to try to find what's what what's best what was best best for them? A little bit, and I think there's um, and I do think in that space there's still expectations, and this is where I get a little picky from a baseball standpoint. Yeah, I do need them on to the next play, and these would be observational things, and and I reference this is something that I've referenced in the past. I remember being at a junior college World Series. This was. 2011 down in um, Eden, Oklahoma for the division two world series. And I was there scouting when I was up with William and Mary towards the end of the day, most of the game I was behind home plate towards the end of the day. I just went down the right field line a little bit, um, grabbed a seat at like one of those picnic tables, just watching a game unfold. It just like, and this is stuff that I knew as a coach, like living it, 
but having a chance to not be consumed with the outcome of the game, like I'm just, yeah, I'm there scouting, but I'm basically taking the game in borderline as a fan. Like I'm just watching a good game, keeping an eye out for players. But as I just watched a bunch of little things happen in a small amount of time, I say little things, it's just, they add up and they make the difference in games. And some of it was that hype level, like guy hits a double that he either tied the game or cut it to one. And he's at second doing the bow and arrow to the dugout. The ball's in play. It's getting overthrown, like kicking up against the wall. Like he should be at third base is the gist of it. It wasn't at third base. That same base runner at second, the next um, the next, um, the next next hitter is trying to bunt him over. And the base runner bites on basically a fake crash, like a, a pick play at second that was really just a bunt rotation play. But he's like darting back to second as the pitch is getting thrown and he can't advance the third on a bunt. And I'm just like, one, if that guy had the bright base running read, he's at third. Mm-hmm. Two, after the moment, if he could just do a good job with his secondary and advance the third, he's in, you know, he's there with a chance to take the lead. And but it just like if that guy gets it right, it could change the outcome of this Juco World Series. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think the gist of it was if you got a team to truly buy into all that stuff and coach them up on every little decision they make on a field, you you become a really difficult team to play against, almost regardless of talent. So even if the other team rolls in and like, oh, yeah, we're better than these guys. But if you get everything right for a seven or nine inning game, it's a tough thing for the opposition to deal with. Um, and I think that's the, the ultimate is you, you end up getting the more talented roster and you play to that style. And that's why kind of coming back to hype level, I never want hype level to get in the way of getting what's right. You know what I mean? Oh, it's yeah. Or just that between inning demeanor or just, you know, the guys like, yeah, give them some flexibility. Some guys need that that certain energy. But it's just when it comes down to, like, can you be dialed in for the whole time? Um, that piece is critical for me. Such a cool way of saying it, man. Like, it was just just uh, I enjoyed this, man. I just uh, really cool. Such a uh, yeah, man. How how uh, so? What do you practice? What do you what do you practice like? How do you, how are you able to put <coughs> you in maybe maybe these kind of situations uh, to help deal where you're kind of monitoring that kind of hype level? Sure. Like how do you how do you bring that how do you bring that out of them to where you can kind of help teach it? Yep, um, the skill level. I mean, skill development stuff. I mean, that's a given, obviously. You know what I mean from that standpoint. And I, I won't even hit on that here. The more I do, the more I coach, the more the more like circling back to the decision-making stuff is so, so important. And some of that is like, yeah, at the plate, swing, take decisions, but base running decisions, defensive decisions, and trying to get guys into um, basically just stack different game situations and then force them to get live reads, whether that's in BP or, or we run a base running drill a certain way where we're getting live reads. I think that stuff is so critical because it's, it gives you a chance to rep it out. You know what I mean? If you just play, um, straight up baseball, inner squad, even a coach pitch, and you just like let it go, you might not get the certain situations enough. But it's just if you want to cycle through a certain situation, like are we tagging on this ball, for example, like what's our read here? You just set it up, whether it's a machine or fungo, or maybe you do it in a, a coach pitch, but you just whatever, put runners at these spots. This is what we're looking to do. And then we just rep the thing out till we get it right. Um, and again, that comes back to some of the stuff we hit on earlier. Um, in a way as needed. So, you know, there, there's things that we want to cover, but it just, as we get more comfortable with one thing, then we can kind of move on to, to make sure we get something else right. Um, so it's kind of picking what the team needs, but also um, I would say also making sure we're repping the things that are going to show up most in the game. 
So making sure we're getting enough reps of the things that could impact our games um, on the highest level of frequency stuff. And I, I, I for sure like that because that kind of brings me into like you know like like you said uh, you did some base running mishaps this weekend and like you know that so like yep. that's essentially you're gonna stack those game situations up and kind of recreate that and so you can rep it out during practice. Correct. Yep. Exactly that. And some of it was just you know that specific rep of what your read is, you know, trying to score on a ground ball from third with the infield up and you know depending on your read like what we're looking to do with that stuff, um, and then even like a tag no tag situation like. If you're not tagging on a certain ball, then you should be getting out there as much as you say maximize. So they're, the term halfway basically would only be if halfway equaled the exact distance that you could get without getting doubled up if the guy catches it. So like the term we'll use for that is maximize, and that's something we'll rep out a ton. You are getting as much as you possibly can where if the guy catches it, not that we want to bang, bang, play with you sprinting back, but if you can jog back to the base comfortably – you did not do your job as a base runner. You, you didn't just, maximize. Exactly. Exactly right. And it's whether it's ball in the air or ball yeah. being thrown like that. And that's an example of that type of play. The return on that, literally, it's going to be thousands of time in the course of a season if you run through it. Of Base runners having to make a read, whether it's a ball in the air, ball on the ground, um, a thrown ball where you're at a, another base reading the play. You're basically always just working. It's almost like a secondary lead with the ball going to a different base. Um, yeah does that make you know what i mean like it's oh yeah you're not just camped on your base like you're getting off just in case that ball gets away far enough where you can move up that next base and the return on of it is like when that shows up and your team's dialed into it it's you have a you have a, a lot of chances to cash in on that for sure maximize well another great one just a great word coach good gravy oh my maximize like most guys like halfway and you're just like maximize, like heck yeah, heck yeah. And I, I even think it because it's much more. Uh, it, it's not as passive, yeah. You know, it's much more. Um, I mean, I would say aggressive, but like it, it just, it just, uh, it makes you think more. It does, and, you, you it's, know? and it's one of those things. Even if the opposition knows you're doing it, like it's not a groundbreaking thing. It really isn't. It's basically what we all want as coaches. Yep. But it's just we're willing to spend a good amount of time to try to make sure we get that thing right. Just because the return on it, I think, is so good when it's when things go a certain way. It gives you a chance. It gives you your best chances to move up max bases and to always cash in on whether it's a mistake or that ball you're not quite sure on. Just having the discipline to stay out there until you see what happens with the ball. Oh, yeah, it's great. Uh, you typically like to do base running right away? Like you'll stretch and throw? Like how do you kind of mix that it in? It depends on the day. I mean, it does depend on the day a little bit. And sometimes the base running would be baked into our VP, as I mentioned, or it might be yeah. baked into our like a, a coach pitch segment. Yeah. Um, but there are certain days where base running, we will hit on it, even from like a practice flow standpoint. It even gives our pitchers some times in the outfield where we're getting some base running stuff done. And sometimes we'll do base running with live defense, and other times it's just – it's more of a mechanic thing of, you know, this is what we're looking to do and just repping out some of those things. Um, but we do, and we try to make it a part of every practice and just how big of a, a piece it varies day to day a little bit. It really seems like it's a pretty big staple, um, something you really enjoy. You know, it definitely is something that uh, wins or loses games. It's very well taught. I think good clubs always have good base running. They do. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And and I've heard, and whatever, the cross-sport analogy – from a base running standpoint, some people refer to it as like the special teams of football. Yeah. Like the special teams of baseball. 
And I agree with that concept, but I almost think it doesn't give enough justice. I actually think base running is more, what type of offense do you run? Like, mm. like you know what I mean? Are you yeah. a, a spread offense? Do you like to ground pound it or whatever? Like, are you an option offense? Are you five wide? And I think base running is actually bigger than special teams. I don't think does its justice because I think it really is your identity as an offensive club. A lot of times it shows up on how you run the bases. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it also tells you the type of teachers you got. It does. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot that goes into it, for sure. Yeah, the development system, for sure. How are you able to, like um... – like just another thing, because it's, it's something I I think it's a big challenge, and honestly, I don't think our game, and we 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 try to you know get guys getting jumps and things like that. How do you get your guys? Let's say base because there's base Cooper kind of it's like base running and base stealing for me. Like right? so, I'm thinking sure. the base yeah. the base the base stealing side of things, sure. you know, and how you're repping that out to get guys more like how are you working on their jumps and things like that. And I would say so. There's an area of my game, and even from a coaching development standpoint, still to this day, I acknowledge like I need to be better versed at the different base stealing options and for me it's um i have a level of risk aversion like i know with certain combinations like stealing bases is relatively safe and if you teach it a certain way like there's a really good return on it but i also know certain teams can take that away from you so i do want base stealing to be part of our identity but it's something that we probably don't spend as much time on as the other stuff just because the other stuff i feel like over the course of a season will have a better return so it's like basically the high-end team, and you'll see some teams, their stats just scream like this team, the fact that the opposition, whatever, insert the opposition's like 21 for 38 in stolen bases against a certain team towards the end of the year. You just come across certain teams that aren't going to give you a chance to do it. They're going to be quick to the plate. They're going to vary looks. They'll have a catch-and-throw guy behind the plate. And if you're leaning on that as like your offense, for me, it's just over the years, I feel like, and I know for sure we could do more with it. I say that, and I know we could steal more bases. The teams I had at Westchester, we definitely could have. But they just got to a point with the way those lineups were set up. I had so much um, – I just don't have that regret of, like, why am I running into an out with some of the guys that we have? And yeah. I think there's other other pockets of the game where we can get that extra base without making it a 70-30, 65-35 proposition kind of deal. Um, so I think – Again, I guess that's just a long way to say you would probably talk to a dozen coaches and 11 of them for sure would probably have better base stealing stuff than I would have for them. <laughs> no, I just – and honestly, because it, it wasn't even so much that. It's like I think – because I was getting to my next thing. It was like you made such a great point about we do what's going to be the best return on investment. And that's what I was saying. Like what are the top five – like your top sure. things that you do that you feel are going to give us the most bang for the buck? Sure. And that's – and coming, I guess coming back to base stealing, I would say this, the guys that I've seen that have do it successful, it's like anything else in the game. So like the way a guy hits, like from a stance setup or maybe his timing mechanism, I do think having some base runners with some differences can be helpful. Like in regards to some guys might be a vault lead guy. Some guys might be, you know, just a bigger straight up lead guy. Um, and some guys are just really good at reading tendencies. And you know what I mean? It's almost like a self-taught thing where they their instincts are really that good. But we've also played against teams that you can tell it's a systematic approach. Like everyone runs the bases or steals bases the same. And there's no doubt those teams are definitely tough to play with. And they're a pain because usually they recruit to that. Everybody runs like a six, eight or better. Like those teams are tough to deal with. Um, but it just, that hasn't never really been the identity of the teams that I've led. Yeah. Um, and when you say like return on investment, I think it's spending time on base running, no doubt about it, of just, 
getting those moments right of those reads and like staying true to that maximized concept. Um, that's critical for us. There's no doubt about it. Um, we spend a good amount of time on dirt ball stuff. So that's also a, another critical piece for us. And I, again, I come back to that feels like a, almost a safer way to steal a base to me. If you hit that right, I just feel like you're going to be safe on that at a higher percent clip than, um, you know, a traditional stolen base basically. Yeah. So like, those are your base running things of like just the situational things, getting the right reads and then your dirt ball reads. Like those are the big yeah. things that you're hammering out. Yeah. And then, so like, what are your other, like, let's just say offensively, like you think about your offense, I'm sure like a lot of BP situations are probably what you're, what you mentioned is yeah. your biggest returns on investment. So like it when, is you're, that, when you're taking then, BP, what is the thing that you're thinking of as the biggest returns? Um, and even on the offensive side, as I mentioned to the decision-making stuff. So okay. the, not that we won't have the, the feel good BP, we'll still mix in the feel good BP, but I also think the, the baseball BP has a better return. And when I say that, it's um, the challenges that come with it. So whether that's a, a stacked machine situation where it's like a fastball breaking ball machine, like basically side by side or on top of each other, and guys are making decisions and having an approach like that. And even for programs that don't have machines, like I even think a coach mix BP, like there's a much better return on that than just traditional fill it up four seam pat. Like, you know what I mean? Like they actually have to make a decision, have a plan, um, and one of the other ones too, is even, a we would even mix in like a coach pitch scouting report, just to, it would even be posting, like, this is what, whatever coach is out there that day, like, this is what you're looking for. This is like the likelihood you're going to see certain pitches. This is the pitch he likes to go, goes to ahead in the count behind in the count. You can expect whatever. He might try to get fastballs in when he's behind in the count, but see if they can basically apply a scouting report in real time. Um, and then sometimes getting off the scouting report and also letting them know, like, it's not always going to be perfect. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, Oh, it said on the sheet that he was going to try to get bust me in on a, on a two, one count, but it was a breaking ball away. I'm like, yeah, well, sometimes that's going to happen too. Um, so I think just some of those things that'll show up in on game day and just getting them comfortable with that stuff in a, in a practice environment. Nice. And then thinking about like, um, like defensive, I think you heard that a lot of this on the infield side of side of things, you know, that, that gets, that's become pretty important, you know, like practice things that matter the most, you know, um, it can turn on the corner infielder, you know, corner infielder rarely catch the ball two handed, things like that. Sure. Yeah. So what is that where like, are you repping the certain situations out like that, that are just happening or even to this certain ground ball? It, it, yeah. And that's, um, that's a good lead into like, we try to get as many live balls as possible during BP. And I heard, I mean, I heard that years ago, it was, you know, at a convention, it's like, even our best fungo guy just can't duplicate. You know what I mean? Like a middle of the order metal bat swing. Like you just can't duplicate that type of ground ball. So I think getting those guys, as many of those as possible. And you're right. Like trying to train certain lanes of fielding and um, you know, the, the range or the plays are going to show up on game day. Like we want to rep those things out the most for sure. Um, and then attaching that decision-making stuff. Mm. So sometimes it'll be, even if we don't have live base runners, just giving them some of those internal clocks and, you know, we'll categorize when we play teams, there'll basically be five different colors of runners from dark green to light green to yellow to orange to red, but just give them situations with dark green being the fastest, red being the slowest, and yellow would be basically an average runner. Um, but just give them a situation like it's, you know, a, a dark green guy in the box and a yellow runner here. And, you know, we're just going to do some situational stuff. So they have to make some decisions based off timing and rhythm and those types of things. 
I love that. So, yeah, just I just like because um, just how much, uh, you know, the game's grown too. Like, I think, uh, you know, your teams have been very successful, you know, and so the amount of game situations I think that you're putting your guys in, you're not, you're not scared of it. You know, I think that's just something that will always need to continue to grow is just more game situations, you know, in baseball. Some, some things it's just, it, 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 it's never been such a natural thing. You know, we've got to really work at it. It does. And that's the, and that's it. I was a victim of that too, of sometimes you organize practices. So they like, they fit perfectly and you feel like the flow is good. And it's like, it's almost like a well-run football practice whistles blowing or whatever it is just like yeah. oh, ten minutes here, here, here. And then like, even the drills we're doing, they're just so scripted, but it's like when the game starts, like there's random stuff happening. Like I, it's just on any given weekend, there might be sequences of things. Like I haven't seen that happen before in 20 years of a college baseball field, whatever it is. So it just, you have to just embrace the randomness of, um, of getting off schedule and stuff. You know what I mean? Of just like, yeah, play gets messy sometimes. And like, instead of me freaking out and yelling about it, like let's work through the mess. Like let's play an overthrow live and like figure out who goes where and those types of things. Um, I just, yeah, we always want it to be clean, but honestly on game day, like you're usually going to deal with some stuff that you're going to have to work through for sure. Hmm. Yeah. Really, really, really good. Really, really good. Um, Daggone, that's good. Just, uh, coach, just kind of like wrapping stuff up, man. Just, um, just uh, we haven't really touched base too much on pitching or anything like that. I mean, I know you talked about your your dude that you got two dudes that you had pitching. Um, you know, but like in terms of of, of pitching, uh, I guess the final thing is we've kind of talked about uh, a lot. Um, I'm just thinking about again. How do you put more pitchers? Can you talk about Coach Pitcher Grimm? Is like how are you putting yep. your pitchers in those game-like situations? Sure. And um, on the on the pitching side, it is um, especially in the preseason inter-squad stuff. If we have somebody going two or three innings, like building up pitch count stuff, if he has like two clean innings, like we're definitely going to put some traffic on for that next inning. And there's times like we'll go into it. It's just inning one might be clean, and then inning two will set a situation like okay. it's first and third, one out. And making him feel that exactly yeah. yep and even um and this is playing out in real time the pitch clock thing is very real in college right now so the rules that come with it and some of the little nuances of you're on the 20 second pitch clock now so just that rhythm of getting guys comfortable working within those time frames and even something as simple as like having the option to to step off get the sign like if you didn't get it the first time like you only have one crack at it per hitter and then it's a ball or if you're over the rubber and it's not 20 seconds, which generally speaking, 20 seconds is plenty of time. But as you know, like when you have 120 to 200 opportunities in some games to like to mess that up, sometimes guys are going to mess it up. So I think some of those the newer rules, just practicing and repping those um, just to get them game ready for that stuff. So we're not surprised by it. Um, and the other just I say pitching stuff in general, just coming back to the same deal, like it's like anything else on the field, the stuff that's going to win is talent. And on the mound, like stuff is going to help you win. No doubt about it. Like you need to have stuff like good stuff on the mound and you can break that down a lot of different ways, but it's pretty common themes like command your fastball, you know, have a secondary pitch. You can land for a strike and put it in a chase zone. But I think the other one too is, you know, the best pitchers you go against and the best pitchers you coach, usually they're guys you trust. It's just guys from a demeanor standpoint and, and I do think pitching, coming back to hype level stuff, I've seen different personalities on the mound win. Like I've seen true like bulldog guys you can tell are revved up. 
I've seen flatliners that like you can't get anything out of them, but you just know they're going to compete. And I've seen guys in the middle that, you know, certain situations they'll get revved up, but usually they're pretty even keeled, but it's, you know, the guys that can handle the moment, like those are the guys you want to give the ball to. So even if it's their, you know, their rep soda number, their trackman number doesn't spit out exactly what one guy might say his stuff. Oh, my stuff looks better, but the combination of what the hitter is doing against you and the way you handle moments, like, that's it. You know, the guys that you trust in the big moments, they're usually going to be wired a certain way. Mm, that's good. That's really good. Hey, I, I was just thinking too, like, um, man, you you about like uh, how you had built your lineups, right? To, 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 to by the why you're not stealing certain bases. You're like, yeah. you, you, you know, uh, so do you have a certain way, like, uh, I guess, like, how do you build your, your lineups? And is that really kind of based off of your individual, like your offensive philosophy um, or as you know, like you said, like you said teams, teams, teams are different every year, but like, yeah. I'm just thinking about how you build it, your lineup when sure. you mentioned that. The, from a, I say from an analytical standpoint, there are some like traditional things that I still like in a way. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's even apps out there now and even companies that, you know, they help you, they can help you put together like sequencer. They can help you put together ideal lineup. And then even ideal bunt strategy per se, or steal, like, should we try to steal a base here based off percentages? Like there's a company that, that that's dedicated themselves to like wow college baseball stuff, like for that with that is, I think there's definitely value in that stuff. And I've looked at the stuff. We don't like, we're not a subscriber to it. And that's not to say it's not a, a well worth investment. Um, but I do like being aware of kind of what's out there and like just even the, the thought between like getting one of your better hitters in the two hole, which usually it's a good hitter, but I think, it, you know, Aaron judge isn't exactly the exactly like prototypical number two hitter on the days he's hitting second, right. but it's just the way the lineup works and like opportunities. Like, I think they've just come to like, that's a good spot for him. You know what yeah. I mean? Of just, they've come to grips with that's the right spot for Aaron judge. So I think some of those things, we don't have Aaron judge to put in the lineup, but just right. some of those things, um, you know, some of those things of like where you put certain hitters, but even some of the game day decision stuff, I don't like from percentage standpoint, I like being aware of what numbers might tell me, but there's just certain things on certain game days. Like you just can't account for You really can't. And it's just like the way a surface is playing, how valuable is a single run on this day? Is the wind blowing out? So like, yeah, like normally I might drag bunt here, but you know, we're in Florida, the ground's rock hard, the wind's howling out. And it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's a two run game, but it's 14 to 12. And like, we actually think we might need more than, you know, more than a single run. My light just went out here in the office. You can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I can finish in the dark. Um, that's so good. But I, that's like the gist of, yeah. Like, I, and that's why, like, I, I would never like bash on anybody for like, ah, oh, there's sacrifice button. Don't they know the run expectancy? Like on a certain day, like, you know, we would play certain teams on certain days where I'm like, the best thing you can do is bunt on this day because it's an awful day to hit and make the opposition make a play on a cold, wet, drizzly day where the ball's going nowhere. Like, that's the way you're going to win a game on a certain day. And then the opposite, like, if you play for a single run on another day, like, it might not be the best strategy. It just depends on the day. That's a great point. That is such a good point. I love that. And that, that's the thing, like you said, that, that's what they can't take an account for, you know. And uh, is there is there a way that you're structuring your lineup like now that you maybe hadn't done or prior to? Um, I think some being aware of some pocket stuff, almost like try not to stack high strikeout guys, low walk guys near each other. 
And Ooh. sometimes it's hard within a lineup. Like, you know, it's hard to maybe keep two guys from being stacked. But like, if you can stay away from that three guys being stacked of basically a lower contact rate, three guys in a row, just so it's not a, you know, you get a runner on first and second or second and third. And it just plays out in a fashion where like three high strikeout guys strike out without putting a ball in play. Um, so I think yeah. trying to break up some of those pockets. Um, I do like, there's something to, I think having a lefty or a switch hitter in the two hole, I do like, I think there's something that leadoff guy gets on. You can create a little bit of a hole on the right side. Like I think there's a good return on that. So I think, you know, if it's the right guy, I like having a lefty in the two hole, if we have that. Um, but, you know, outside of that, it's, kind of making the pieces work. And I do think, not to say a lineup won't change, but having some level of continuity, even from like directing the offense standpoint. So you almost get comfortable of, of knowing like, all right, like this guy's up, this, we can do this. And like, you start to like get a feel for like, you almost anticipate what your options are going to be before they show up. Um, and I will say like our early season lineups have changed drastically. Yeah. So there are times now where like, I'm watching the guy hit and I'm like, I'm doing a double check of my lineup card or looking on the undeck circle. I'm like, I don't even know who's on deck. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm like looking because I'm in real time. I haven't totally figured out like, yeah, this is our best nine man lineup yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to happen because like I said, you, you want to get to a point where you can have that continuity. Right. Is that what you're saying? You're just going to get to that I, point. I, where yeah, you're it, is, it is nice. Yeah. You're always going to have, you know, ideally you're going to have somewhere between, you know, 10 and 12 guys that are kind of your regulars. You might have some yeah. lefty righty options. You want some help at the catching position. Somebody's going to get nicked up. So you want at least, ideally, you're going to have a 12-man that you're going to lean on. Um, you know, in certain unique years, maybe it's 13, 14, but um, there's also other years where it's only 9 or 10. You know, and by the end of the year, you're like, this is my 9, or this might be the one extra guy I might play on a certain day. Um, it's just a matter of making one decision within the lineup. Coach Prakniak. Just um, awesome stuff. Really appreciate all the time he spent with us and just being able to just be real, candid, have a great conversation about what he truly does. Uh, just some great things. I just really wanted to highlight um, just how he mentioned. I um, love the video stuff. I think it's so important. You know, he's bringing that in. Um, his is how he's really trying to help and give everyone space and opportunities to become the best version of themselves. It was a great way he talked about. Um, I love this conversation. Love his thought about how he's he doesn't come to the ball for looking at cross guys off, and you know understanding kind of where guys are in their life and knowing where he was and just it's really t touch base with me about not going to feel looking at cross guys off. And you say that a lot, you know, guys talk about the high socks or high pants or just different things that they're doing. Uh, this, this is a great way of talking about that. Um, getting to the right hype level, you know, finding finding your level and, and what's best for you. And again, all that really comes back with feedback. But finding the right hype level, where are you to kind of be able to compete the best? Um, how are being more game-like, you know, from the mixed coach pitch, uh, scattering reports, stacking the machines, doing things that get the most return on investment what are the things that we need to get really, really good at, spend the most time on, not trying to spend time on everything? Uh, really, really awesome. Some quality stuff, and I just can't thank him enough for giving us this time. And, again, thank you to Netting Pros, the guys at Netting Pros, for continuing to sponsor us, help us out, grow our grow the podcast, 
And most importantly, thank you guys for listening and supporting us. And again, feel free to reach out to me at any time, Coach 3 Cobb, or continue to follow the podcast and let me know however much we can help. And if you feel anybody would be a great conversation for us to have and just love to talk baseball and continue to grow the game. So until next time, keep getting better.